Welcome to the Guernsey Press Arts Podcast with me, Simon Delarue, and Sean Shackleton. And this is rather a cinema special here on the podcast because uh, we've got all sorts of things regarding film to talk to you about, not the least of which is the very exciting Leicester Square film premiere of Last Flamingo of the Red Summer Sunset and some departures and uh, new programmes up at the Mallard Cinema. But Sean, um, some news first that you've uh, just uh, received from our friends over at Filmworks. Yes, Guernsey Filmworks. Um, Lars Janssen just sent us an email and uh, he says it's quite exciting news. The uh, Underground, which premiered uh, last uh, last year, um, it's uh, it's been reviewed on um, the New York Times of, of, of all of all places. All right. So okay. Guernsey to to New York and um, so that, that's great news in itself. Well, that's did, great news. Did they slag it off or did no, they, did no, they no, quite no, like it? No, well, that's it's, good. It's, it's uh, they absolutely loved it. It's a, it's a bloke called Eric. Pipenberg and uh, he says as much as I enjoyed watching these poor bachelorettes run screaming from grotesque creatures and Nazi tormentors the real star of the film is the location the German underground a natural ward during the German occupation so we that uh, Freston Guernsey must be really happy uh, with that yeah and obviously Guernsey um, Guernsey tourism yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's good to get the uh, the, the the locations of these uh, of, of these Guernsey films uh, out there in 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 the consciousness of the filmmaking world, and uh, that is exactly actually the the theme that was uh, stressed uh, to a great degree by um, those that we've been speaking to uh, from across the channel productions. Uh, that was earlier in the month, and uh, Leicester Square was the venue, and we had an opportunity because they had a, a full press junket going on all day beforehand um, to speak to the writer, producer, co-director, uh, and indeed lead actor Cameron Ashplant, along with uh, the remainder of the cast, Andrew T. Hislop, who played the part of Buffalo Soldier Henry, uh, Dean Hollingsworth, who played a, an apple picker in the orchard owned by the main character, and the writer's brother, Brandon Ashplant. And I started off by asking Cameron just to tell us as much as he was willing to about the film's plot. The story itself, uh, I think we've been using the word revisionist Western to, to kind of describe it. It's uh, it's obviously, it pays homage to the Western genre um, in the story, but also in, in the cinematics of the film. Um, but basically you, you follow this very young sergeant uh, who's inherited um, the power and influence from from his family, as as as, as was the case at the, in the kind of the formation and and, and beginning of the class system in America, um, and he basically tasks a Buffalo soldier who's very experienced and very well known um, as an assassin, essentially in this local community. He tasks uh, this Buffalo soldier, Andrew's character, with um, with an assassination of the last Indigenous wild man uh, in. The community um and so basically the the story itself is, is is following this dialogue and this discussion debate about uh the morals and ethics of uh basically extermination um and and it, it follows the uh, religious changes at the turn of the century as we, as we leave the 19th century um in in america and this romanticization of of the wild west which for for the generation of the character i would have played um who wouldn't have fought in the civil war um, who would have watched the, um, you know, who would have watched the the Wild West kind of shows that that come to town like a circus and, and read all the comic strips? They were effectively 
uh, the the Marvel comic strips of the day um, called the Wild West Weekly. And he would have read all these stories and he would have romanticized these wars, these conflicts, these exterminations and, and the Wild West as, as he reads it in these comic books. But he's never been there. And uh, the difference is he's communicating with a generation of people who are scarred by war, by conflict, have lost loved ones, have had to kill people that, that were strangers to them, who they had no grudge against. Um, so, the, you know, he's talking with people like Andrew's character who has a very dark past, um, has a lot of regret. And in, in the case of this Buffalo soldier, he's trying to um, he's trying to. Uh, find God again and, 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 and kind of make peace with, with, with himself and, 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 and the horrific things he's had to do. And now I'm tasking him to go back to these old ways and, and do this one final task. Um, but in this case, no one's seen this indigenous man. It's all hearsay. And there's a mystery around who he is. Why would I want to kill him? I've never potentially never seen an indigenous person before. Um, and so, yeah, that, the, the story develops from there and, 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 and you then see my character in, interact with different people. So obviously I respect Andrew's history um, as a character, but there's there's a racial dynamic. There's um, there's a, a righteousness and a, an authoritative um, kind of um, engagement and the, the interplays between the two characters. And then there's um, my interaction with Dean's character, who plays an apple uh, an apple picker, who, who used to work on the apple orchard that, that my dad looked after in, in the film. Um, and uh, you can see there again, I have, have respect for Dean as a character and a person I've seen while I've been growing up in this massive manor house. Um, but at the same time, there's there's that class dynamic that he's the apple picker and um, and I'm the guy who drinks the apple juice and uh, makes all the money from the apples. Um, so there's that there's that dynamic playing out. And then you've got uh, Brandon, who effectively plays my uh, right hand man or my, my right hand man or my servant, someone I see as illiterate or um, <laughs> or kind of a, a servant in the manner. So there's that even even worse dynamic that, that goes on again. So you see these different three relationships um, in the film and. Um, and then it culminates with finally going out there and trying to uh, exterminate the, the last indigenous man. So you follow that story, and really, it's a it's a story about changing changing morals, changing ethics, um, changing ways of doing things, changing perceptions, um, and it's an opportunity to kind of reflect on how we perceive the Wild West and what the Wild West was really. Um, and those are two very different experiences, and that's kind of what the film centres around. So these are subject matters that uh, are not entered into lightly, I'm sure, and you've clearly done your research. But what made you hit upon uh, this sort of subject matter? And, and how long uh, have you been working on this project? What was the genesis of it? Yeah, so to be honest, I was I started writing it when the four of us were working on um, more, more theatres Macbeth. Um, and that was the first time I really came to appreciate Shakespeare and come to better understand um, how powerful and how effective his language is in his scripts and, and the fact that we're still performing it 400 years on, but yet we can still actually understand the story, even though it's a completely different dialect of English. I think that's fascinating. So at, so it might sound back to front, but the first, my first instinct was I'd love to write something that plays with a different dialect of English, um, one that's completely unfamiliar to us. Um, at the time, I, I'd been watching quite a few. We just came out of kind of a year of lockdown and stuff like that. And I'd, I'd watched a lot of old films, a lot of Westerns. And I think the Western genre now is seen as quite comical. Um, it's quite early. It was quite early in cinema that they made a lot of Westerns. And that's probably because the people who made those films had read the very comic books that now we're criticising in this film. 
Um, so they had a very distorted perception, a very romanticized perception of the Wild West that wasn't entirely accurate. And um, while I was at university, I studied um, the, uh, the indigenous American community in South Dakota as part of my course in human geography. I became fascinated by how two different histories can be communicated. Um, and maybe one history is, is, not, is not necessarily true, but for those people, that history is what they believe in. So it is their real experience as far as they're aware. So I wanted to explore how two different versions of reality can be communicated on screen. And that's done so in a dialogue-driven narrative. And so a story like this allowed me to explore the dialect, allowed me to create something that was authentic and felt like you were actually looking at people. Well, hopefully it feels like um, you're actually having a little look into how people spoke to each other and, and engaged with each other in the 1890s in America. Um, and, and, and so this one kind of provided that opportunity to at least explore that. Um, so yeah, that was kind of the the idea and, and motivation behind it. There's there's loads of different stories inside uh, the film that that, um, that I was keen to tell. Loads of little snippets. Some of them inspired by true events. Uh, so we, we've got um, obviously uh, got Andrew's character who's a buffalo soldier, um, and I think that's not a character or history that's been explored a lot. Um, so there was an opportunity there for Andrew to kind of um, explore the the very unique perspective that, that a Buffalo Soldier would have had coming out of the Civil War and the Frontier Wars. Um, and then on top of that as well, we had a story of a wild man. There's a case in California that inspired this part of the story where there was an indigenous um, American who came out of the woods um, in California in a, into a town. And he was about 50 years old, this man. And the people in the community were completely unaware that indigenous Americans still existed around that area. And they found out that the tribe he came from had been exterminated 30 or 40 years prior and he was still alive and unseen for 30 40 years so th this was a nameless man because he he never came into contact with other people and so they referred to him as the wild man and i thought that was fascinating um as a as a kind of you know to build a story around that and to build a the obvious lack of understanding there would have been if people have never actually seen an indigenous an indigenous american but have all these preconceived ideas and indoctrinated ideas from from the government and the kind of agenda of the time. So yeah, I, I wanted to explore that and, and let's, let's give the opportunity. And you described it there as uh, dialogue heavy. That is what presumably made you feel that this was uh, a, something you were going to be able to shoot in Guernsey because on the face of it, a, a Wild West movie, well, well, a movie set in the West at least in the post-Civil War America, um, all filmed in Guernsey, um, sounds like a challenge, but it, it really is um, the psychology in the dialogue that you're after. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, when I, I remember putting messages or, or beginning to call out to the different actors or crew, and I thought, how do I pitch this? Because I think I was thinking if I personally received a message or a call from someone that said, I'm thinking of making a, a Western in Guernsey, I would have thought shoot out some, someone's going to bring out some sand there's going to be like bar scenes, there's going to be really cheap costumes and it's going to be like a cowboy shootout. And I just couldn't see that logistically being a thing. Um, but that's part of what this story is supposed to do is it's a revisionist Western. The, that kind of um, perception of the Wild West as being these sandy uh, back streets um, and, 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 and open roads and, and bars and casinos and gambling and shootouts and horse riding is just one very small part of the Wild West. I mean, if you look at the Midwest, uh, a lot of it takes place in like South Dakota and, and North Dakota in, in, in the Wild West. That, those stories are open plains, grasslands, kind of more like what you see in Dances Before, those kind of settings. That's not uh, the Wild West that we see in films, which is 
usually dusty sandy roads and stuff so i i knew from the beginning that the idea and the imagery i had um could be done in guernsey and also there's a vagueness as to where it's kind of set the actual beginning of the story uh, the final scene without spoiling anything is set in the the wild west but a, a lot of the rest of the film could be maybe even in virginia or something and actually what we're discussing is this um wild west that that my character hasn't been to um and yeah so it, it's not actually set necessarily in the wild west um, throughout the whole throughout the whole film um but yeah i i think there were challenges and i think at first thought filming you know the, the wild west is 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 difficult filming western is difficult but um I think, yeah, there was that revisionist kind of motive but behind it all from the beginning. Uh, so, uh, Andrew, can I ask you then about the role that you play in, in this film? Uh, you're uh, Henry, the Buffalo Soldier. What did you know of uh, this type of uh, role, of the Buffalo Soldier before this? Was, was this something you had to sort of uh, gen up about or were you familiar with this? I was familiar with Buffalo Soldier. Mo most folks, when they hear that phrase, think about the Bob Marley song. Um, but probably don't delve into what a Buffalo Soldier was. Um, being um, half Jamaican, half Scottish, um, a Buffalo Soldier was something that was um, known within the Jamaican side of our family. Um, so yes, it was, a, it was something that I was familiar with. Being able to do the film, however, allowed me to do a little bit more research uh, in the sense of... Um, Sometimes, uh, as, as Cameron says, we often assume that we, we know history on the basis of what we see on the screens uh, and even by what, uh, what we're taught in schools. Uh, and being mixed race, I was particularly interested in seeing if there were mixed race Buffalo soldiers. And, and as you go through the research, as you look at some of the photographs, when you think of the, the history, um, it is actually far more fascinating than, than you realize. And that Buffalo soldiers weren't just um, African American, you know, dark-skinned individuals, um, uh, black men. Uh, but uh, you look at the history of it, and and indeed there were mixed race, um, and uh, some fascinating, fascinating images that just make you think, oh my goodness, there's more to this story than what than what meets the eye. So, yes, I was familiar, but I thoroughly enjoyed doing my research um, in this project for the film. And in terms of uh, the scenes that were, were shot there at the, at the Coat Hills, I think I recognised, um, your, um, your character is uh, having to take orders, effectively, or at least there's a lot of coercion going on in those scenes, and yet there's, there's a moral authority that you're able to display in that. I mean, how um, important and how difficult was that to, to get across in those scenes? Oh, so so important. Um, as you, as you know, I'm I'm um, really keen on scripts that are written well because that's where you can really do the work, um, sink your teeth in, and find a lot of motivation. And I'm I'm glad this is written so well. In fact, I remember when I spoke to Cameron afterwards, I I was like, "Who wrote this?" <laughs> because this is great, uh, um, and that was a, a a great place to start. Um, there's a lot of truth behind each of the characters. Um, you you read what they say, you look at the subtext, and there's just nothing but truth there. Uh, and invariably, it's it's often what isn't said that resonates the loudest in in this. Um, and again, I don't want to give too much away, but I thoroughly enjoyed the tension 
the unspoken words, um, often the looks speak absolute volumes. Uh, the icing on the cake is the text is, is, is how it's written, but, but the subtext, what lies underneath is, is what is really quite, um, quite exciting. And yes, the dynamics between, um, my character, Cameron's character was an utter joy to do. Um, because as actors, you really want to sink your teeth into something that not only do you uh, enjoy, but you know you want to, you want to give the best to. Um, and and this was an, an utter joy to do, not just because of the subject, not just because um, of the way that it was written, but also because it's such an important story um, to say. You know, the revision, as it were, revising our understanding um, of history from a point of view of individuals real you know you want to display real people and tell and tell a story well so yeah loved every minute of it and dean can i ask you about the uh the shoot and um about about your character and bringing that to life in in what was some uh, some very generous close-ups that you had in in the in the movie the, the camera loves you in those scenes the lighting <laughs> just fantastic really enjoyed them so uh tell us about the uh, your character and, and, the, and the shoot and how it went sure well, in terms of the close-ups, I think I learned a lot of that from a, an actor called Eric Deacon, who I worked with on Doctor Who. He was known as Whispering Eric Deacon. And he taught me, he said, what you want to do is to, to whisper all your words. And that way they've got to bring the microphone in closer. And when they bring the mic in closer, they've got to bring the camera in closer. <laughs> but we, I mean, Cameron was obviously in charge of all the, the camera shots and that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was... I think I turned Cameron down. I think he, he rang me and said, you want to be in a film? And I think I said, no. And then he said, um, I'm thinking of doing a Western. I said, I'm in. Because it was so audacious, the idea of shooting a Western in Guernsey. I think it, it, his fears were the other way around. When you're doing something so uh, challenging, it, it has the opposite effect, certainly with me. And like Andy, um, there, well, there are two things that really are very important to me. The first is the writing, and the second is uh, who, who am I going to be working with? Now, I'd worked with all these guys before, so that was a done deal. And I knew I know the quality of, of all their uh, their acting and their performing and their, their talents. Um, <clears throat> so I certainly wanted to be part of this club. Um, when I read the script, um, I just thought it was it was a stunning piece of work. I mean, it, it it he seems to have tapped into the zeitgeist of this thing at the moment of of us, as certainly in America, of an attempt to divide people into um, camps and say you know in order to secure power. And I think this is the biggest question of our age. We, we've been through this before in history, and we're going through it again now. And we must learn from these. Um, uh, these lessons, and um, uh, what what I think for me was very important was to tap into a, a lesson I'd learned many years ago, which is uh, I think Stanislavski had suggested that um, characters defined by circumstances, and I think Brecht then took that and and embellished it and said that characters defined by economic circumstances. So what I wanted to do was to say how does how does one make a, a bad moral choice? Um, and if, if your circumstances are that you're very poor and the person who's coercing you is very rich or has, has some power over you, then you're more likely to, uh, to give up your, your moral, uh, morals, if you, if you like. And I, I sort of built a backstory for the character where, where I thought of myself as being this man who couldn't do anything else. 
So where else was he going to go? So if he if he um, um, if he had, it's a bit like Trump, isn't it? You know, he's he's a sort of narcissist that if you if you cross him, he's a, re a re revengeful person. And I sort of imagined that the Cam Cameron's character was a little bit like this, a little bit sort of narcissistic, and and um, and so one had to be careful on in terms of how you treat him. Um, and to be coerced eventually into into doing this, and I, I imagined that I had a daughter who wasn't very well, um, and that uh, I needed some money to, to to help her. So these were all kind of things that would um, would inform my character, um, and really, uh, Cameron just made it very easy for me because uh, of the way he shot it, the, what, what words he'd given me. Um, my favourite line, I think, of all, which I'm so pleased that I had to, to deliver, was the one of um, uh, "I've never seen an Indian, have you?" Which I think is is a that is is what this whole film kind of mm. uh, pivots on. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful insight. Yeah, it's a grounding moment for the audience. Uh, uh, Brandon, can I, can I ask you? Um, last time we spoke to you on this podcast, uh, it was about a film in which you were directing your brother. Now the tables uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Have, have been turned. Um, or, yeah. or which one was actually shot first? Was this is this the, uh, the same chronology as we've uh, seen them released? No, I think this was actually shot first. So this we shot this in February 2022. I want to say. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. two pretty much two years ago to the to the month. Um, whereas we shot um, Bottom Dollar in um, June of that year, so about well, I guess four or five months later, sort of thing. Well, June, July, sort of traversed that that sort of those two months. So, so, so which, this, which of the two of you is the more patient director? <laughs> I couldn't possibly tell you, Dale. <laughs> I couldn't. Tell you. Um, but no, I think like it's interesting. Like just obviously flipping tables and sort of like turning the the power. Obviously, we're talking about power dynamic within the actual film itself but obviously with, with on on set as well changes and the way we worked i guess was i guess similar but you see different styles coming out as well so it was quite an interesting process and um and the scenes that you i mean we can't go into too much detail about your your uh, role probably because it sort of comes in towards the end of the uh the the piece and won't want to give uh, too much away but um yeah in in terms of uh, your your involvement here, I mean, what what were you um, seeking to find as the sort of the, the core of your character? Uh, I think well, so um, I, I play a character called yeah Private Daniel, who um, who for all intents and purposes is a, I guess in in similar to Dean's point and talk about economic circumstances, I think is in a similar situation, although slightly perhaps elevated by the. The um, the military status that he holds, um, unlike Bartholomew, that is actually is really just an is an apple picker. Um, so so, but 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 that said, he is um, fairly low ranking. Um, presumably, you know, so this is set in eighteen nineties United States history. So he's born post Civil War. So whilst is a military figure, hasn't seen combat and 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 likely never will, given the isolationist policy of the U.S. government going forward, pretty much up until First World War. So actually, the the power that is um, bestowed upon him is actually pretty, um, I guess, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a facade of, of, of power. It's not actual power. And, and, um, and any power that he holds is, is pretty much uh, quashed when, whenever I'm in the presence of, of Cameron's character, who's obviously what, what is, uh, thinks of himself as being something of a general or a sergeant, I think is a correct um position um and obviously uh, has inherited a lot of wealth and status and power from his family who, who own this estate and this farm 
and this apple farm so i think yeah it's interesting i think like because you do see the different sort of like i guess power structures and obviously class and race structures playing out obviously andy um you know andy's character in in 1890s of america wouldn't let's be honest have uh, held a lot of a lot of power but i think there's still respect there purely because of um, what you've done on behalf of the, the united states government and so forth but actually again if you scrape away behind that that, that mm. the the motive for that is actually pretty dire and actually it's pretty um pretty damning stuff and everything that he's he's had to do and is, is now sort of feeling guilty about and is repenting to god for is pretty much uh, something that he he was forced and coerced into doing and similar you know, Dean's character forced and coerced, and and mine is too. So I think that it's interesting. I, you, uh, my character sort of fits at, at, towards the bottom end of a of a strange power dynamic where actually the the, the imbalance is firmly in 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 favour of um, Cameron's character um, Benjamin. So before yeah, I, it's bef- interesting fitting in that. Before I ask uh, Cameron about his um, acting uh, role in in this, can I just uh, uh, um, ask you about the very recent um, award that uh, your brother was given for acting in your uh, film from the Budapest uh, Film Festival? That was a that was a good piece of news to receive this in at the beginning of this week. Yeah, it was it was it's exciting. I mean, it probably one for you to take because it's your <laughs> it's your award. Um, but yeah, so that was quite cool. I mean, we've had a good run with um, Betty Bottom Dollar as a short film, so we've. Um, yeah, so we picked up a couple of awards, some um, Sweden Film Awards, now Budapest Film Festival, and, and hopefully, well, we've reached the semi-finals of the um, the Paris Short Film Festival, so that's quite exciting. Um, but we've had a, a fairly decent run, and we've had a, a couple of awards for cast and crew. So, um, best director and um, and Jonathan, who's our producer, picked up a best producer award as well. And actually, I think Patterson Joseph, who voiced a, a supporting role, he picked up an, an award. So yeah, so it's it's had a good run, and. Um, and it uh, seems to be uh, still garnering traction, so that's still quite exciting. And yeah. um, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see where it goes, I guess. Yeah, congratulations on that. Now, uh, Cameron, as as to your role as actor uh, in this uh, film, um, we when we meet you, you appear already to have been undergoing some degree of psychological disintegration, and, and that that uh, really accelerates through this. Did you? Um, did you film your scenes chronologically, and and what was what was it like for you to have to put, portray that that journey mentally? Um, I, I think uh, yeah, I mean, I was, I was really wanting to play someone who was sinister and and psychotic and twisted, and, and kind of explore. I think the motives of a villain or an antagonist is is always quite interesting. Um, what's their villain backstory essentially? Um, so there's lots of, of bits that I have in the dialogue that, that kind of centres around his abandoned by his father, um, his kind of like, uh, you know, where his misunderstandings are rooted in in, in his, you know, in the comic books and stuff and, and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, in, in terms of how we filmed it, we actually filmed me and Andrew's scenes first. Uh, and then we, I think I then did all of my, my filler bits between, which kind of shows the disintegration of, of, of the character. And I think... I think naturally the character's trying to hide his um his you know potentially illness but his his um his his darkness he's trying to hide it i think um at, at times um and i think that all starts to come through then in dean's scene which we then filmed next but all of a sudden you start to see kind of uh hiccups and kind of um little ticks almost uh that shows almost maybe a, a dual personality that opens up the door for so that maybe there is something bigger at play here um and then finally with brandon's scene you see um the complete hubris and 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 you you finally start to see that, you know him max out in terms of this guy's really not 
really not right in the head and uh and that kind of all, that kind of all comes to a, a head head towards the end and then that takes him into his, his final his final journey of the story but i think that's that's important i was saying to andrew earlier when you meet the first two characters you don't know much about them and we build up and introduce elements of their characters slowly and andrew's character especially is very mysterious uh, to begin with um, and i think that's quite interesting because it's, it's how you meet anyone you, you know we, we jump in and then slowly feed feed the audience a little bit more information it allows the audience to preconceive or think they know more than they do and then learn why people are acting the way they are or uh you know and, and things like that but yeah i'm playing the descent of the character was was exactly what i was kind of excited to play about with with this um and how you can do that yeah it's that old yeah. saying of don't start with the egg i guess yeah you, you certainly achieved that um in terms of the life of this film now that it's complete you've obviously got your uh, premiere that you're uh, d- just hours away now as we speak um then there's also a run at the mallard um and then presumably also uh, you'll be hoping for a life outside of that at perhaps uh, festivals what are your intentions and hopes uh, and and um also a word about um how the film is being um, offered up as an opportunity to sell Guernsey as a location which I understand has, has attracted visit Guernsey to this yeah uh, yeah so firstly on the on the first bit we're, we're going to be going into film festivals um, it will show in a few in a few different cinemas and then um, we're in discussions at the moment with the US distribution deal uh, so there's there's that and then um, yeah so we'll, we'll be seeking distribution of, of, of some kind and, and hopefully it will make its way onto streaming platforms um, but they, that's that's that. We've been very lucky that Visit Guernsey supported the premiere, and for it to premiere in London is just amazing. It's just you know, it's extremely exciting, um, but it's it's big because the film industry is a massive show, and uh, <laughs> and you know to, to to have a premiere of this scale in in central London um, is very impactful towards getting that distribution deal, and very impactful towards getting that film out there a little bit further. Um, so it's yeah, it's very exciting, and yeah. Writer, producer, co-director and lead actor Cameron Ashplant there. And you also heard from Andrew T. Hislop, Dean Hollingsworth and Brandon Ashplant. Uh, so that, that was uh, interesting to hear um, everything that they had to say about the film there. Obviously exciting times both for them and for filmmaking uh, here in Guernsey. And if any of that has whetted your appetite, then the film is going to be showing locally as well from the 9th of February uh, for at least six days, uh, possibly more depending on demand. Um, the film will be showing up at the Mallard Cinema and tickets are already available. Speaking of the Mallard Cinema, I've noticed recently, in fact we discussed it at the end of our last podcast, that there is now a wider choice of films available up at the Mallard. In fact, uh, more than half a dozen different titles per week showing up there. So we decided that it was time that we went along and had a chat uh, with them. So I spoke to the uh, manager up there at the Mallard Cinema, Dan Phillips-Smith. So Dan... um, Tell me about uh, first of all the uh, the changes that have been taking place here at the Mallard in in recent times. Um, yeah, so I'm going right back here. Um, since COVID hit us, obviously that impacted um, how films um, were coming to us, the programming, the rate that films were coming out, um, and just as we started to recover from that sort of we then had the writer's strike over in Hollywood that impacted the number of releases um so a lot of people were thinking oh we need to you know spice things up a bit keep things creative and innovative um and we already had Winter Tyson um bringing his clamoured cinema um to us um every uh, couple of times a year and that was always really really well attended he has an excellent choice in films he always picks some really smashing films and the attendance for his 
his events is always really really good um and i was then approached by um two other people uh lizzie loveridge um uh, she had an idea about doing films centered on strong female leads female characters um so she um came up with um girls on film which is a new initiative that we've been doing um she curates it she chooses the films and we host it um and help her put that on um and then um matt walters um, who's her partner and he, he also um, was really interested in doing something. So he has started um, cult films at the Mallard. So he chooses really, you know, cult classics, brilliant films. Um, and he brings them. Then we, we're alternating now between the girls on film, cult film at the Mallard, Clamour de Cinema from Winter, um, all sort of art house films, films we might not necessarily have been able to bring to the Mallard for like a full week's run. Um, he brings them in for one night events. Um, and then I thought, well, why not? I'm going to give it a go um, because my taste in films is very different to anyone else's. I find I like much more old school films, old disaster films, old creepy films. You know, I'm going right back to it. some of them are even in black and white. So I thought I'll give mine a go, see if there's anyone else on Guernsey that shares my taste in films. So I started The Manager's Choice. Um, and so we uh, run these now on the quieter evenings of the week, Mondays um, and Thursdays depending on how you know where our program allows um and so far it's been really really promising um people that see, like seeing something new obviously you know everyone will come to the general releases the big marvel disney releases there's no doubt about that um so it was very interesting to see how guernsey would react to these more um sort of unique art house type film um clubs but it's been really good people obviously wanted it so it's certainly opened out the amount of choice that people can uh, expect when they're, when they're looking on the, the website and seeing what films are available. There's, there's clearly quite a, a lot more titles to choose from. Uh, how, how does it work from a, from a business point of view? Um, what, what are the uh, challenges of having sort of a one-off showing and what are the advantages? The challenges are it's actually more expensive to a cinema to bring in a film that's already out in the public domain, so on DVD or release. Um, with new releases, the studios really want us to show them. Um, so it's um, it's cheaper to us in that they just take a share of the profits. Um, whereas showing older films, there's an initial you know charge and sometimes they put a percentage on top of that as well. So um, we have to make sure that the films we choose, whilst we all personally love them, me, Matt, Lizzie, Winter, the films we choose, we know we're going to love them. But we also have to bear in mind that we need people to, you know, um, vote with their feet and come in and actually see these films and for them to actually turn a profit and remain viable. Um, so that's always the challenge. It works better with these films in that we, we'd never be able to bring any of them in um, necessarily for a week or more because um, we just wouldn't have the volume of people in to, to, you know, to make them viable. But as one off shows, if we put, you know, if we give people enough um, notice in advance, really push them, then they can work and we can bring them to Guernsey for at least one night. One of the other things that's relatively new here at the Mallard is your hosting of the Guernsey Film Fest, um, which has had two iterations and a further one to come uh, in the autumn of this year. You're also uh, showing, and you've got quite a lot of screenings of this, I notice, um, a feature film that's just recently come out, which is Last Flamingo of the Red Summer Sunset. Um, so how important is it to you to provide that base for this, this seemingly burgeoning new film uh, production here in Guernsey? I think it's very important. Um, I've been really surprised how much film production, you know, on varying levels um, that is going on in Guernsey. I, I, I was not aware of it when I moved here. Um, but so, um, yeah, I, I mean, it's always been my aim since I came here seven years ago to really make them, you know, the Mallard a community cinema. It's not just like any chain cinema in the UK. It's just, you know, everyone come in, see a film and push off. I really wanted the Mallard to be part of the community and to help the community as well as being a, you know, a place where people to come and relax and enjoy themselves. Um, so 
helping any burgeoning filmmakers has you know been a passion of mine i've been really really keen to make it work wherever possible um it wouldn't necessarily be viable for you know big chain cinemas to do it but where we're independent and we're local um it's much easier for us to accommodate um which is which i think is absolutely brilliant and really really pleasing um so um yeah the guernsey film fest has been wonderful um for showcasing a lot of guernsey's current talent up and coming talent both in acting and filmmaking um so i'm really looking forward to the third guernsey film fest we will certainly continue to host that as long as they want us to um and likewise we've had guernsey filmmakers such as cameron um ashplant with last flamingo of the sunset um alex bates um who are all producing their guernsey based films um it, it's just been fantastic and long may it continue we're we're open to everyone that wants to showcase their guernsey filmmaking so could you tell us about uh, one of your own uh, manager's choices that's coming up? Perhaps perhaps the one that you're most looking forward to being able to show off to a local audience. <laughs> well, the one I was most looking forward to has actually been and gone. It was The Poseidon Adventure, which in my humble opinion is perhaps the greatest film ever made, if not up there in my top 10 greatest films ever made. Um, I showed that back to back with its little known sequel, Beyond the Poseidon Adventure. Um, after that, we showed The Hindenburg. Um, but surprisingly, the one that's got the most interest, which I didn't see coming, is our next one, which is the original Vincent Price fall of the house of usher um i think that might have got some interest because netflix did their own reiteration of that into a into a very very good series recently um but this is this is back in the 1970s um it's campus christmas but very still very eerie and it's just it's fantastic it's it's a product of its time you'll never see a film like it again and i i, I just think it's gonna be absolutely fantastic to see it on the big screen i've never seen it on the big screen myself so i'm very excited for that one and, and with this move towards what, what I might uh, term, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong, is a sort of more art house cinema mm. sort of uh, vibe with the selections you're making. Uh, are there any other plans for changes? I mean, a lot of the art house cinemas that I've been to in the past have, for example, been licensed premises. Have you, have you got any other plans in mind? Well, as you say, we certainly are. I think cinema in general is leaning towards sort of art house style. Um, you know, we're always going to have the big releases, um, but lately, even the you know the the masses have wanted slightly more eccentric or unique releases rather than just churning out the same superhero film over and over again. People are leaning more towards the artistic films um, and they like that sort of atmosphere as well. So certainly, we I mean, we've always got our thinking caps on about what we can do next, how we can develop. Um, we were on the cusp of looking at redoing our seating um, and and then sadly our projectors decided they all wanted replacing so once again the seats have had to take a slight delay while we replace all of our projectors we've already replaced screen one um, with a new laser projector and we'll, we'll roll that out to all four screens um, and then we will go back to the seats once again um, but yet certainly people have asked us about being licensed premises that is something we've been looking into and we're always revising the range of you know food and drinks that we offer as well um, so yeah we're never sitting still when we're you know we're never complacent we're always looking at where we're going to go next Dan Phillips-Smith there of the Mallard Cinema and um, some, great, some, some great stuff there isn't there yeah yeah a, a whole wide array of new and different titles things that we kind of don't usually get in Guernsey right? yeah so, I mean we haven't got a video shop anymore have we so no, <laughs> that's a touch but and, and last luster it's funny you mention that as well because you know even even films that I have seen on video and I actually own still would you believe on VHS as well as wow. on um, uh, DVD for example with Nell and I that's right. going to be showing in mid-March yep um, I would definitely go along to see that yeah. uh, on the big screen you know as it happens I'm busy that night on stage but so I can't see it. but um there's you know the fall of the house of usher as he mentioned there Brilliant. is uh is uh selling Vincent a few tickets. Price. 
Yeah, and comfiest best, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> indeed. Um, so you know that those um, moves towards becoming a bit more of an art house cinema, um, something which I'm sure is something you'd welcome. Oh, definitely. Yes. I mean, it, it's like uh, last year I'd be up, obviously up at the Mallard again, uh, and and Lars and Charlotte with the Guernsey Film Fest. Um, it was the first time I've always loved the film obviously The Wicker Man but it's the first time I ever saw it on big screen mm. and the ending which I'm not going to give away but everyone knows it anyway because it's actually on the poster but um, <laughs> but the ending I never found that shocking until you see it on a big screen I mean it's not the biggest screen in the world but you see it on a big screen that's bigger than a, a 1970s television set screen and it's uh, it's it's quite moving it's quite touching yeah. you can uh, sound you, system as well you feel it's on the sound system going around yeah. the music's good on it and everything it's uh, but to see this from Scarface is going to be in there yeah. you can imagine what the um, chainsaw is going to sound like in that well do you know I've never, <laughs> you as, never seen as, it. as with the Mick and Wicker Man yeah. I had never seen it before You've I saw it up at right Mallard well, and uh, like, likewise I've never seen Scarface never seen Scarface so, so you know it's an opportunity for yeah. you know, people like me who really ought to have seen some titles like this to sort of get up there and uh, and make amends, you know. So it's an is, opportunity. Has is it, is it still got a bar up there? Because that, that would be fantastic if it would be like a real art house. Kind yeah, of well, he did mention there did, that he, um, he he mentioned that they about the bar, didn't he? That they they have been looking into it and thinking about it. Um, he also mentioned to me actually uh, just as I was leaving because I commented on the fact that they've now got among their various improvements a uh, an electronic billboard outside now. Oh, God, right, and yeah. uh, and he said, yeah, he was he just got <laughs> he got to the point where the last straw was for the upteenth time having to run across the fields nearby seeking out the wind blown soggy <laughs> posters that had been blown out yet again from the the the, the arrangement than they had up there previously so it's top uh, of the island uh, isn't it so. now it just plugs in a usb stick and it just uh, does it all for him you know so that's uh that's an, an improvement up there for him um but, but yeah but this is this is what kind of film fans have been waiting for i mean obviously um we've had um climate to cinema for so long which uh, which you know uh, uh winter's been doing a fantastic job and he's persuaded he was going to finish it but he's obviously been persuaded back fantastic job and he's part of this you've got the manager's choice which is dan's you've got the um cult which is matt uh, matt walters and then you've got girls on film which is his partner lizzie's lizzie lovebridge so you've got these kind of different sections that you can go and see you can go and pick pick and choose what you want to go and see yeah cult films Girls on film, um, and the manager's choice, and, he, and as he says, he likes uh, disaster movies. I mean, who who's, who went, last went to the cinema to see a disaster movie? Oh, I mean, that's... That things I, I really chimed with him on that. I not only really love disaster <laughs> movies, but I specifically remember certain scenes yeah. out of the Poseidon Adventure, despite Sorry. the fact I think I've seen it twice on TV when Run I was. It. In my early teens, and yes. I've not seen it since. And yeah. yeah, I can just picture whole scenes of it. You know, Shelley Winters swimming and, and, and <laughs> the, the great chandelier <laughs> yes, right. hanging from the chandelier and all the rest of it. You know, Gene Hackman. Yeah. yeah, yeah, amazing stuff. So I'd, I'd be, uh, you know, I'm, unfortunately I missed that one. And that's one thing, you know, we, we could be in a couple of years' time talking about when the Mallard tried this experiment and yeah. then the likes of us and nobody else went and we didn't take advantage and, and it could stop, you know. So in a way, yeah. this is all going to be dependent. Uh, they're goodwill on, yeah. on the likes of us actually uh, forking out for a ticket and going yeah. up and seeing these things but and I mean, fitting it, it into our diaries but, but it's, 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 it's ideal because do you remember a couple of years ago that when the um, when the uh, new development was happening down Admiral Park everyone was saying oh well, we, we need a cinema we need a cinema and all that but we've always had one here and, and now they're kind of doing more diverse stuff I mean as as, um, as Dan says they're doing the Disney blockbusters they're doing the um, superhero Marvel things and all that 
but to have these as well is uh, it's, it's it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we're both enthusiasts, so it's probably worth saying, just, uh, despite everything we've just been saying. Yeah, we haven't actually received any money for this. But well, no, 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 no. Not no. getting paid and, to say all this stuff. And, and you don't like, need a beard it's, to it's appreciate only, it. <laughs> it's sounding like an advertorial because we're quite uh, <laughs> enthused by the whole thing. Yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, uh, moving away from cinema uh, yep. uh, momentarily, because um, there's one or two uh, things that uh, you've been out and about seeing in the arts world locally. Yeah. Well, um, uh, I went to see uh, a, a track to the artists of of, of Earth and Islands, which out for Guernsey uh, on their um, in in their uh, studio up Mill Street. Uh, Charlie Buchanan, Sally Ede Golightly, and uh, Bridget Spinney, uh, three fantastic local artists, and uh, very diverse work. It's it's well worth a look. Well worth a look. And also, I went up to the um, photography now, which is at the Gatehouse Gallery, uh, which is part of the um, of Elizabeth College. And the, as I say, they've got a, they've got a, um, an exhibition there called Photography Now. Six local photographers, uh, fantastic work again. Uh, and during the half term, which is coming up next week, uh, from Sunday the tenth to Sunday the eighteenth, it's open every day from ten a.m. to four p.m. So that's that's well worth a look. Yeah, I enjoyed reading your piece in the paper the other day about that. And again, very diverse work, isn't oh, it? From very diverse. Photographers. It, it's it's from from mullet hairstyles to wildlife and uh, documentary to really powerfully personal um, uh, personal photography. Yeah, it's it's, uh, it is, it's it's great. Adam Stevens, who who is the curator and the uh, the director of the um, of the uh, of the exhibition space, the Gatehouse Gallery, he's done a, a great job pulling these uh, pulling these six totally different photographers together. It's really good. Yeah, that's good to hear. So uh, we'll definitely uh, get ourselves over to that one. What, when does that run until? That runs until um, I, th- I think it's the end end of March. I think I, I might be wrong, but it's definitely um, the, the the full run of it. Uh, uh, the best time to see it would be Sunday the tenth to Sunday the eighteenth, ten a.m. to four p.m. Right, that's during half term. Basically, it's during the half so, yeah, term. Cool. Yeah. Okay, great. Okay, well uh, that about wraps it up for uh, this month's edition of the podcast. Uh, do uh, let us know if you've got any project that you're working on that you should that you think we should be shouting about right here on the podcast you can email sdelarue at guernseypress.com and don't forget of course that uh, our paper is on sale six days a week and you can read uh, very many of the things that uh, sean here has written about uh, in there if you want to keep abreast of everything that's going on in the arts world here in the bailiwick but uh, for now that's all from us goodbye goodbye goodbye